0: Welcome to Elite Team Talks, the podcast that simplifies the universal principles underpinning the world's most successful teams. I'm Henry Cheatham, founder of Elite Human Solutions. Join me as we venture into the minds of individuals who have created, led, researched or been a part of history's most successful teams, from World Cup winning coaches to Special Forces leaders and the minds of Google. We're committed to presenting the most diverse array of thought leaders ever assembled. Through the stories and wisdom of our guests, we filter the noise, extract key insights and deliver clear, actionable steps for you to build industry-leading teams and culture within your organisation. Welcome to Elite Team Talks. Welcome back. In today's episode and part two of my chat with Scott, we discuss the similarities between high-pressure boardrooms and preparing for the Tour de France. Scott breaks down the misconceptions around the phrase marginal gains, what it takes to repeatedly perform at the highest level under pressure and how to rediscover your innate childlike curiosity within. You can expect to understand how to adapt and evolve quicker than a competition, how to create a deep sense of connection within your company and how to repeatedly perform at your best. As always if you enjoy the episode and want to be the first to hear when new episodes drop please like review and subscribe the podcast most importantly this podcast was created for you thank you as always for listening and i hope you enjoy this episode cool so welcome back let's start by discussing team sky and a tour de france you know boardrooms are high pressure but what was it like working in one of the most competitive, high-pressure, grueling competitions in the world, which is the Tour de France, as we know it.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, relentless. Um, and re- relentless in the sense that the clarity of what the team were going for was just there, you know? And there was a scale of vision and ambition, which often came through Sir Dave Brailsford, that galvanised that group to go for it. You know, that they the fact they wanted to chase the Giro and Tour de France in the same year when opportunities arose. Um so, yeah, relentless in that sense, but probably also people will be familiar with the concept of marginal gains. There's a real misunderstanding about that. Um, the team were relentless over their planning um, and their ability to adapt. You know, So from the moment the parkour for the Tour de France was announced in October, their level of detail, scouting, understanding, uh, understanding the opportunities to get there like of that was just at another level um and it was just relentless there were hours spent like it seems wasted time but it's not hours in the evenings in camps in december in mallorca talking about how they were going to win that's that's what it's about really and the dialogues and discussions and views and opinions like all of that informal stuff often helped shape the performance plans and the performance plans were a level of detail in thought where there were real focus on what they needed to do to win. There were real focus on the riders that helped them to do that. There was a real focus at an individual level, what the riders needed to focus on to be even better. And then all the in- interventions being put in place that would help them get there. That's performance planning. Um, what people focused on in, in those intervention packages, there was often some high risk, high return stuff that was being tried, which is the one percenters. But what people often didn't see was the 99% of, of things that they would be focusing on because, you know, and so the story about marginal gains interest, it was always about the one percenters, but they missed that the process was about. Real good performance plan in the dynamic triage process because you know no plan survives contact with the enemy. That's what they say. we got a plan. This is what we think we need to do to win. As soon as you start living the plan, you need to change it. And the ability to constantly adapt and modify it. Um, and of course, behind that was this team of people that had a load in the locker. When things didn't quite work out, you go into the next solution very, very quickly. So a lot was always about adaptability and rate of change. But the thought that went into how they were going to win And so many of the teams are doing that. I just look at Jumbo Visma. They've reset the characteristics of it Was just the nature and characteristics of that team, really. So depth of thought, depth of planning, execution, the scale of vision and ambition and the pace at which could move and adapt to what was playing out in front of it was really the characteristics of what that team was about. So, yeah, it's relentless. Absolutely. And that's year on year on year, whereas an Olympic cycle is every four years. But of course you're, you're building up to that um but those are the some of the things i think that do characterize high performing organizations whether it's in sport or business or any other space really um and you therefore need to create time to do that so a real good performance planning process where you understand what it takes to win you think about where you're at you put plans in place and you're constantly triaging that as it moves forward is a real marker of how an organization constantly progresses
0: Interesting. I've had a few discussions with high-level coaches around the concept of winning and you could use examples of how Gareth Southgate's England team are ultimately trying to unite and inspire a nation as uh, a vision and a mission that's greater than winning. Yeah. You've spoken obviously about the Tour de France and how it was scrutinized to the nth degree from a what it takes to win perspective but is winning enough what's your view
1: yeah i mean it's interesting because it? i think there's um obviously the dynamic and cultures around high performance the thought around that is changed um like some of the individuals i've been fortunate to work with in there that is their obsession um they're just highly competitive there's some psychological characteristics in them that you could describe are more sociopathic and those some of the elements of it. Um, but that was their obsession. They want to be the best and therefore, and we even know that in athletes, really, there are some characteristics in multiple medal-winning athletes that are about as much as much about obsession with the process as it is the outcome. Um, so there's a little bit of that. Um, is there more to it than that? Absolutely, but you can't change the psychology of some of these individuals that drives them um and there's a much often what drives people is there is a much bigger purpose to it but for some individuals that's their obsession Mm. they want they absolutely want to be the best in the world and they want to be the best every day in what they do and therefore their commitment to that process leads to a consequence so um I do get it. I get there's a bigger picture around here, you know, the UK sport mantra medals and more. Um, It's less about, is there a bigger picture? And yes, there is, but it's also about the way you go about it. There's some moral and ethical approaches, I think that are definitely put the individual at the heart of it. Um, That's a key part of it. And I think that's where the emphasis is. Um, So I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but it's how sustainable that is. Because I think that's eventually what breaks people. So I think the thing that makes it sustainable is that there's a bit more to it. There's a purpose, Simon Sinek's stuff. There's a real understanding of why, and there's a bigger purpose people buy into. So I think you've got to get that bit right to make it sustainable. And I think that's the key difference, if that makes sense, between both. Because um, I think just focusing on winning all the time, you see it, that puts people in a very dark place. So if you haven't been able to connect to a much bigger purpose, then it's not sustainable. You know, and you only have to, if you've seen Michael Felt's documentary about the mental health and some of these, like that's a reflection of just pursuing winning. So I think when you're building that, there has to be something that bigger that people can connect to. Um, And I think then that will carry it through in a more sustainable way. So, people are healthy. It's sustainable in that you can do it again and again and again with different individuals, different times. Um, But I think operating in that space does have a lifespan. It can take its toll. And I think that's why getting that balance is really important.
0: Mm. And I guess for a lot of companies, the career duration and longevity needed of their individuals is potentially double, triple the length of those that are elite athletes if you were to go into a company how would you create an environment or potentially attract people that want to win but also help people to feel a sense of connection and belonging to a higher sense of purpose
1: um i think the nature of high performance means it is going to take its toll but I think your ability to think long term and naturally build in, I guess, uh, breaks if I call it that, like sabbaticals, breaks in the career. Like you, you, invariably, people need to move away. Um, like I, I felt that I felt I just needed to do something a bit different in that space. What it actually taught me is no, it's driven by me. You know, like even in any environment I've gone into, no, no, I just, I just like want to keep going and want to keep trying and think so there's a little you, you got to find a way of doing that but um uh so so I, I think that's a real i don't quite know the answer to it there's a delicate balance point um i i do think when you're in an operation and you're living it day to day you got to find ways of getting people time away from it um you know maybe it's two olympic cycles a number of coaches i've seen go through that and then need a natural change or the number of his lives, families, relationships have suffered because of it. I think there's just, I don't think you can get away from the fact that that level of intensity on one thing has got a limited lifespan. So you've got to be strategic in how recognizing that people can do that, but throughout the career, they then need to change it. And that may be going to a different space. That may be a different environment. That may be something slightly different. Um, so there's an innate nature in that one. Um, how you connect all that to a much bigger purpose piece. I mean, it really does come down to the organization. It's history, it's culture, it's connection. It's interesting being in teams. You need something that people genuinely connect to emotionally. Mm. Um, and I think that is the bit around, you know, Owen Eastwood's work around belonging and connection and peace. Um, and the thing that I've been battling with is how you do that on scale. So a lot of the stuff you hear from Owen and others is it's probably easier to do in a smaller group of individuals where the outcome is really clear. The vision's absolutely, you know, to build that. How do you do that on scale? Like in Milford here, you got 1,500 students, 400 new ones coming every year. you got five 600 staff. That's rapid turnover. How do you ensure new people coming in and collect to the purpose really quickly and help that carrying on? So I don't quite know how to do that. That's one of the one's one of the big things around that piece. But also in younger organisations, so if I reflect back on my time at Sky and Ineos, it still was relatively young. It didn't have that, a lot of history and heritage and things to call on. So you're trying to shape it in a slightly different way. No, it does. You know, the organisation has been existing for a long time, but it's still not like an organisation that's been at it for 100 years or 200 years where there are stories that you can connect to that have got real emotional connection for people. And I think that's, that's, that's the key thing when you talk about purpose, belonging, connection, there has to be something emotional that people bind and connect to. And that comes through storytelling and people's stories and personal experiences and how you share those and bring them to the surface. I think that's the stuff that people can find a way of connecting to. So I know we've covered two points there around the bit, but hopefully, you can sort of separate those the winning piece absolutely i think that comes with an obsession and level of planning but if you have to do that repeatedly the connection piece has got to come to it and then that's there's an emotional connection that people have got to connect to that make 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 that live long no
0: it makes total sense i think anything that requires sacrifice needs to be linked to a strong purpose doesn't it otherwise you wouldn't put your name in the hat but ultimately what I find fascinating is the organizations or the teams who sustainably perform at the highest level and what they've harnessed and you know my time in New Zealand rugby that was something there that I think I learned in regards to um, maybe a healthier approach to high performance than I'd witnessed previously and I'm sure there were lots of organisations already doing it back here in, in the UK and Europe, but I hadn't necessarily experienced many of them yet. And it opened my eyes to how, yes, a certain element of sacrifice is necessary, but actually it doesn't need to be this this one or the other, this sort of dichotomy where you have to sacrifice your health, your family, um, especially if if we're talking, you know, 10, 20 years of sustainable success.
1: Yeah, I, I, I can recall being part of huge discussions in the Olympic system around how you can offload people and others like this, there's, there's this cycle of, if you're in the trenches, if I call it that, it's, you know, you're sort of front line relatively to it and how you cycle people out and others come in with some level of continuity. Um, I get it, it's just bloody hard to do. you know. <laughs> Uh, in the sense of the resources needed to do it like that are really difficult. So you need you need people in the background who sold jobs to think about that and force it to happen. Um and it's just, I'm sure there are places that do it. I haven't seen it yet, but uh, and people are certainly doing bits of it. But whether there's a real example of that happening, I don't know. It may be in the military, for example, where that genuinely does happen, where it's scalable to do, but if I think about it in sport, I, 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 I wouldn't know, you know, I'm sure there are. But um, yeah, those would be the characteristics that I'd look for. Interesting.
0: Yeah. And moving on to your time now, obviously, at Millfield, we often think of the schooling system as adults teaching children, but I'd probably argue there's a lot to be learned from children as an adult. Obviously, yeah that's something that would be interesting to explore. What can high performing or ambitious teens learn from
1: children in your view? <laughs> um, what can high performance teams learn from children? Um, yeah, I guess curiosity is one and play. So, I mean, um, the, uh, if I just reverse just a little bit, if I think about, um, I think the message I'd want to just probably articulate is what I learned from coming into an education environment. Probably it probably wanted to taught me a little bit about uh, the future of sport in some senses, because I think that will work for organisations as well. Um, like, I, I never truly understood Millfield. Millfield is quite a unique place and space in some areas. Um, it's always had a history of valuing sport and young kids' development. But we, we have this tendency to bundle this word around called holistic development in sports um, and in talent development pathways and all of those. And I never really understood it, um, and probably until I come to this place. So I prefer the language whole person development. But um, I think there are alternatives to completely immersing one person in one thing because I think that's got limited lifespan. So we see that in, in talent development. You could probably see it in the workforce as well. Like You completely immerse people into one thing, but I don't think the human body is made for that. So if there's anything I've taken away from this space is sports, highly valued. We've got young students, adolescents, 13 to 18, doing their sport a huge amount each week, 12 to 14 hours, maybe in a team sport, at a young, young age, but the balance with their education and pastoral care is phenomenal. So it's truly like the ability to switch off from your main thing and do something else, um, is, I think helps people with better at their main thing. Does that make sense? So, um, you, and therefore you have to value the three parts of the life here. So a child's pastoral care is so much about the friendships, the house parent developing the social skills around their boarding house with their peers, all of those elements of it. They have their education, which is highly valued and then their sport. So if you take those elements, like three elements of a three-legged chair, I think the ability to switch off from one transition and go into the other helps you be better at that main thing. So I think the the deliberate approach to break people's thinking from the main thing is a critical lesson I'd take into any environment. Yeah, you, know, you can't just spend one time on one thing. You, you've got to find a so in a work environment, if you're doing a high number of hours, yes, you have your family and your lifespan, but that and your life outside it, you have to value that. You've got to find a way of getting out from it, genuinely stopping it and focusing on that because that'll make you better at work. Um, so it's that true whole person. Care is enabling them to switch off from the main thing. I sort of see it here; it's organic. I don't think it was ever deliberate in that sense, but I think that creates a better development experience for young people, and I'm sure it help people be more sustainable in their work-life balance. So, so it's around that. It's that there. there um, there's got to be some elements which enable you to do that. I think that's the one thing I've just observed here. That I'm thinking, God, that's so important, and we force it to happen here. And I think that's for the betterment of a young person's development experience interesting
0: yeah children have this innate ability to just be present whatever they're doing and I'm sure there's a lot of adults that conceptually understand that but struggle given the like we've spoken about the often intense passion or curiosity or even just workload with with their job within their team um what's your take on that and do you think that's an individual responsibility or do you think it's an organizational responsibility
1: it's always a bit of both really i think the um the organization needs to force it in some senses really through and and that needs to be shown in the leadership of the the behaviors of the leaders in some senses really and then the you know the individual needs to make a decision to accept that that's being put in place for sustainability and for the health and all those things. So it's definitely a bit of both. You know, I'm not a good example in that sense, really. And I need, um, but equally, there's got to be a reaction at times you are totally dialed up into one, and it's hard to do that. So you've got to plan around when these opportunities can arise. But it's a bit of both. I think the behaviour of the leaders and in creating opportunities, environments that allow that happens, really important. Um, But then the individuals in that space need to make the decision that they are going to do that. And it sure. needs to. And valued you know and just yeah that's the right thing to do go off and do your other thing and genuinely break away from this thing that you're doing at the moment um it's easier said than done isn't it but uh i I, my my sense is as more and people more and more people recognize that and value it because ultimately then you're better at your main thing you know, you like, we it's a bit like no different to an athlete training program, is it really? You know, rest is an important part of the training process as it is the work that you're doing. So if you don't rest, the quality you put into that work element is poor and you're not going to get the gain from it. So the rest is as important and we need to value that in life and in other aspects of everything that we do. You know, and I think the consequences of not are that are burnout, our mental health, or all of those elements of it. So I think that's becoming more and more clear in that sense. Yeah, definitely.
0: Is there anywhere that you've seen it done very well?
1: Uh, no, personally, I'm better at it. Um, I find cycling and I know that's my meditation space. I I think like the same with most things, people, as long as you're, uh, uh, I still think a lot's driven by your own internal motivations Mm -hmm. and being put into situations where you find that out. So I I don't know is the honest answer. Um, I know I, if I was in an organization or a different leadership role where I had that influence, I would deliberately structure the week opportunities where it forced it to happen now, because I know that given that break or that opportunity will make people better at their main thing when it matters. So, um, I'm sure there are, um, haven 't particularly seen it in a high performance sport and then even in a boarding environment it's really difficult because we're safeguarding children and it's twenty four seven and there's some of those elements of it so um yeah <laughs> i haven 't got any experiences to share, but I think if I was put into put if I was going into a different role in a different organization I would value that as much as the work and I'd look at the way of structuring the week and opportunities where it did. I mean, I read things about organisations in the US and other things that people are doing. So I'm sure there are, I just haven't seen them, if that makes sense and seen people describe it, but I'm pretty sure there are.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the thing that I'm noticing now that I am obviously working much more in the corporate space with teams is cultures that value time or effort over output. And inevitably, with that, you see these environments where people, even on an unconscious level, feel bad leaving early, even though they know it's what they need to maintain a high level of output and actually, longer term, produce a better product or service. Um, How, in an environment like that, would you go about shifting a culture from one which values time and effort to one which values output
1: um so i think i revert back to what we've said nobody can perform at their best without adequate rest recovery and mental break from the main thing so um if you build that in the output be stronger
0: Hmm.
1: so i i think in some ways That's where the leadership, if the leadership believe that's the right thing to do, the way they'll structure the organisation, the working week, all of those things will allow that to happen. Um, So I think you'll force it with those organisational changes. But I think there's got to be a fundamental belief and recognition that you will get more out of people by giving them time away and and enforcing that to happen. So you, you have to engineer it in some senses really, because until you've experienced it and therefore, like I know, unless I do something physical every day, I'm not at my best in the office. I flag, like I just just know it. And so you've got to create opportunities for people to find out what works for them. For me, it's riding my bike, a bit of yoga, like going to the gym, those types of things. Everyone needs to find the thing that enables them to be sharp when they come back into, into their corporate function. So you have to artificially create those opportunities where they can do that and you value it and if you know um that's it that i think that would be the start point you then need to let it organically emerge like Mm. you don't you don't know what those things are going to be for individuals that may be time with family um it may be doing things on their own it may be doing yoga pilates it may be going for nature walks like there's this toolbox of things that that people need to find what works for them so i would artificially engineer it and then let it play itself out organically play itself out
0: yeah have the empathy to even ask people what do you need from me you know from a a, a leadership standpoint to continually perform at your best and and to and,
1: in some ways role model it really i mean if i was in an organization where they did that and i need to get out my bike from two to four in the afternoon because it's going to make me better in the afternoon i'm fine with people seeing that mm. because if, then then it's okay oh mm. that's okay it's acceptable Or, you know, to go out for a run at lunchtime and not to be rushing lunch and to doing those things. Um, Yeah, I think it needs to be role-modelled for people to know that's acceptable and they know it's safe to do and I'm not going to get judged, you know, all of those characteristics. But, yeah, the leadership aspects of that from your corporate group are really important.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Scott, it's been a fascinating chat. If you're happy, I'd like to do just a little word association uh game now for the viewers and listeners to to hear and to finish on if you're happy i'll ask a word you provide an answer and yep. no rush they've got to be one one word though that's the uh the only rule of the game Yeah. so the first word is innovation creativity dreams goals curiosity exploration olympics
1: uh high performance children fun legacy sustainable brailsford
0: visionary family love exciting work and purpose caring awesome thank you so much that's fantastic there's so many things that I think the viewers and listeners will will be able to take away from that and i've really enjoyed the conversation so thanks for your time awesome thank you very much well i hope you enjoyed my conversation with scott as we discuss what it takes to continually perform at the highest level as always to filter out the noise extract the key insights and provide clear action points i'm going to utilize our 5p framework which is a simple mental model that breaks down the five universal principles all world-class teams master. Purpose, people, problem, process, and proof. There are a fair few nuggets to digest in this episode, but the three key insights I took away were around purpose, process, and people. From a purpose standpoint, Scott spoke about how it was crucial to have a purpose that goes beyond winning for sustainable high performance. He also mentioned the importance of aligning your origin story with your mission through the power of storytelling in order to create a company which people connect with on a deeper level. In regards to the process, Scott debunked the misunderstanding surrounding marginal gains and instead revealed that 99% of their focus was on having a next level understanding of what it takes to win or succeed in a business sense, with an extremely thorough, highly adaptable plan as no plan survives first contact. He also spoke about the necessity of creating a culture which values and consciously schedules in rest and recovery for sustained high performance, with leaders needing to role model this behaviour for others to see. In regards to the final P, people, Scott stressed the importance of teams and companies adopting a whole person approach, rather than viewing your people as just employees. For this to occur, companies and individuals have a shared responsibility to identify what each individual requires to consistently perform at their best and to collaboratively create the conditions for this to occur. As a result, the action points across the three P's of purpose, process, and people are as follows. From a purpose standpoint, create aligned, clearly understood origin story, vision, mission, and values for your company. Understand each person's own version of this in relation to them, and then connect the two through the power of storytelling. From a purpose standpoint, create a deep universal understanding of what it takes to succeed. Create a clear, highly adaptable strategy from first principles, and build a culture that values rest and recovery for sustainable high performance through your core values, daily communications, performance reviews, and modelled leadership behaviour. In regards to the people action points, understand your people and what they need to be at their best by connecting with them on a personal level. Collaboratively create the conditions for them to then thrive, and frequently revisit this in reviews. So I hope some of these action points have resonated with you. You may be thinking, that's great, but how do I do that? The good news is that nothing great was ever achieved alone. By discussing these action points with your peers, you will be able to creatively identify simple opportunities to incorporate them within your own environment and unique constraints. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, like, leave a review or share the podcast. In our next episode, I welcome a former colleague and UK Special Forces Sergeant Major, Gary, otherwise known as Gaz, Bamford. During a career spanning more than two decades, Gaz led teams within one of the most elite Special Forces units in the world, the Special Boat Service, and later led the recruitment arm of UK Special Forces. Through the stories and wisdom gained, Gaz and I discussed the Special Forces approach to attracting and hiring the right people, where the stakes of one bad egg could be a matter of life or death. Gaz breaks down the misconceptions surrounding what the right person is and instead explains what you should be screening for to identify the best people to take your team to the next level. You can expect to understand how to identify the right people for your team and company, how to specifically attract these people, how to screen candidates for the most crucial qualities, and how to build a team which takes your company to the next level. Thanks as always to you, our viewers and listeners, for watching today's episode and for your support. I hope you enjoyed it and I'm looking forward to seeing you very soon.